So we've come for God to be our sanctuary today. We're in a series called Soul Series, uh, Soul Therapy, and this week we're talking about insecurity. Uh, have you um, ever read the Bible or heard a story yet and been angry over the story? Not liked it? Um, thought it disgusting? Thought it inappropriate? Right, the reality is, is that all kinds, I think sometimes we're taught that because it's in the Bible, it's actually good, right, or it's moral. Um, but yet, there's tons of complexity, and there's actually all sorts of awful within the stories, right, that make no sense, and that bring disgust almost to, you have a visceral reaction when you read it. Now, uh, me being a white male in the United States, it's like a privilege, right, um, those sort of visceral reactions don't come as much, right? I, th- I think they come more uh, openly and more regularly for people in different circumstances. My, I was sharing my wife with this over a visceral reaction over a story in the Bible, and she was like, oh, Manbo, I have them all the time in the Bible, right? How women are treated, right? That you have a visceral reaction to this. And so, as we talk about insecurity, I think this is sort of the, this, um, it helps when we sort of understand, when we look at the world, and even the things that are written in here, and we think, oh, the Bible's where it sort of has all kind of come together nicely. But it's not. It's kind of ugly for a majority of, of the picture. Last week, Kate Fredrickson shared beautifully on depression. But she shared a text Within that moment that yanked me, that pulled me hard, and I had a crazy reaction to one of the stories. And whenever we have those, it's not that we're supposed to shut the book. I think we're supposed to open it more and we're saying, what's going on here? That I would be so disturbed from a story. So uh, last week, we had this story, and so I figured, oh, we're talking about insecurity, let's bring it back up in order to bring some exposure today. So one of the texts was from Genesis 21, and it's this story of Abraham. He's like the patriarch, right? He's, um, he, he, the promise was given to Abraham, and God's going to choose this family in order to move through. And, and Abraham has all sorts of great characteristics, um, but, but also Abraham does some incredibly vile things. And one of those stories, because he was promised a line, a heritage children, and him and his wife could never have any, um, they get this great idea, oh, hey, we've got this servant, right, who has kind of connected herself to us through her poverty and through her lack. Um, well, we'll, give her, we'll give you her, and um, she can become your wife, and that's how God's good's going to come, and you have a baby, and she does. Um, and the baby's name was Ishmael, a boy, a son. Um, but this was not how God intended it. And so then once God's promise is fulfilled, this promise of a child, an heir, a family, a line of promise through Sarah, his barren wife, um, at a certain time, uh, Sarah gets bothered by Ishmael's presence and that he's mocking her son Isaac and says, I don't want him here. Send him off. It says that Abraham's distressed by it and God intervenes and talks to him and says, it's okay. And he sends them off. And that was the story that Kate shared. And so um, Hagar, the slave girl, right, is sent off with some water and some food. 
into the desert, and she's like, we're going to die, right? We're, we're just, we're left, we're abandoned. And, and when that story was shared, it wasn't even the point, right? But all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't like this. This is awful. This, ang- this is not right. Abraham? He's a jerk. Right? This is, I, I don't want any part of this. Here's where the story goes, Genesis 21. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them, or he set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered to the desert of Beersheba. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. When she went off and sat down about a, a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. The story disturbs me. It, 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 it disturbs me because it's a portion of my own story. Many of us have been in families that have multiple families within the family, meaning divorces and remarriages, and you have a family, and then you have a family who has another family, and you're kind of connected into these, both these families, but this other family has family and kids, right? And they kind of have their family, and they move on, right? And you're maybe in the other family, but you're still connected into that family of so many people who have had this story of having parents but being set aside, having favorites, having ones that were like, hey, you and your mom, go on, I'll start a new family, right? This is not new, <laughs> right? This has happened tons of times all over everywhere. And so I think I had this visceral reaction of my own wound. But I was like, this is troubled by that story of a boy crying in the wilderness, a mom crying in the wilderness. We're going to die. God cares for them. He sees. He hears. But, I mean, was Ishmael not scarred from that moment on? Do you not think so? You not think he carries the wound the rest of his days of a father who abandons him and his mother and says, God's going to take care of you, but I'm not. Placing him under a bush, sobbing, without water, ready to die, being abandoned. I think that picture is so disturbing because it's, it's just not like, oh, this is just this one unique scenario, but abandonment and betrayal and vulnerability and nakedness and hunger and thirst is such a common storyline of every one of us. And some of you are even disturbed because this is so much a part of your own story being abandoned, betrayed, not wanted, cast off, put to the side. And yet there's a story of a God who cares, but you're put under a bush, right? And understanding, oh, I'm alone. Nobody's got me. 
And I believe in many of those kinds of deep core wounds that interrupt our peace, that interrupt our lives, that interrupt so much, these deep ones, that whoever has lived has experienced a wound like that to some extent. Betrayal, hurt, denial, loss, pain, abandoned. Well, your peace was broken. You've experienced it. And all of us then, in this midst of this chaos, begin to pick up, uh, attach ourselves to different things that would say, this will never happen to me again. Have you, have you ever, I, 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 I don't know this story, right? Don't know Ishmael's line, but I believe as he sat under that tree as a young boy, was like, this will never happen to me again. I will never sob like that again. I will never allow that to happen again. I will seek to control, to position, to attach myself to whatever. So those things will not happen. And those things can kind of work. I find it interesting that he he becomes an archer. That's what the story says, right? There's all these little illusions. I mean, the Bible is written almost by poets, right? These were mystics. These were spiritual people who were writing this text, right? It's poetry of sorts. Becomes an, he becomes an archer and talks about Sarah, his mom being a bow shot away from him, weeping to God. But he becomes an archer. And it could, I could be reading into this, right? But that's an interesting profession to become in the midst of your abandonment of saying, you know what? Uh-uh. I'm going to become an archer. I'm going to make sure I see them from a distance. Yeah, nobody's going to stab me in the back again. Right? I'll have a shot that I can be able to protect myself, that I can look on the horizon and protect and make sure that everything's going to be okay. Now, the story says that God was with them, right? And those are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truths. Here's his cry, reached out to Sarah. But in reality, there still is this ugliness that has to be confronted. And many of us, We're kind of walking around in that same way that I think Ishmael was in that story of saying, we've been wounded, we've been hurt, and we're saying, I'm not going to let this happen. So we'll attach ourselves. We'll, in our own vulnerability, in our own weakness, in our own nakedness, we will attach ourselves to something that we say, this will take care of things. But the problem is when that begins to crumble, then we're in trouble. Have you found yourself there? That because of the harm that you've experienced, see, when we have harm and when fear kind of kicks into our life, um, you can either begin to fight it with anger, and we talked about anger that way, or you can flight, you can run, you can attach. And many times with fear, we will take the running. So in the product of helplessness and weakness, um, brought about by these feelings of inadequacy and vulnerability and nakedness and, and out of control, and many of us will demand control and success. But for those of us who demand it, we will be destroyed all the same. The reality is in the brokenness of our world and our weakness, we are continually exposed. In Genesis 3, it, it's, the beginning, it's not the beginning of the story, right? But the beginning of the story is the story of God who is good, who creates it all and creates us in his likeness creates everything with peace and shalom and provides. There is meaning, there is rhythm, there is pace, there is rest, there is provision, there is life. It is good. There is partnership, there is unity. 
it, it is the best of all. There's an, there's an Eden. There is, it is good. And that harmony is disrupted through um, deception, right? The story of the serpent that comes and deceives the first father and mother, the first of creation, Adam and Eve, and disrupts this shalom, interrupts this peace through deception. And they buy into the deception and they partake, they, they eat of the thing that they think will bring them wisdom. They attach themselves to this that brings them what they want. And yet it brings death and brokenness and detachment and, and, and disunity and separation with it. And in Genesis, it's just this interesting, this is what the text says about when they ate of that fruit, what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And, and, and we've talked about this a lot, and, and this is, a, you know, this is this, a text that kind of says immediately when they ate of that, they realized that they were naked. And it wasn't a nakedness. They said, oh, we're naked, and I look really good. Look at us, right? We're God's creation, and man, he did a really great job. But no, immediately they looked upon themselves with shame that they wanted to hide they, they wanted to cover. There was something that, a, a, a brokenness within themselves immediately and in this relationship with themselves, right? This union that they had where it's kind of like, oh, I'm looking at, I, I, I'm naked. I need to cover. She's naked. She needs to cover. And here comes God and we need to hide, right? There's brokenness on all layers, everything. Brokenness in their own body, brokenness in their own relationship of humanity, and brokenness with God. Separation on every front. And, and the immediate, the immediate thing was, let's cover it. Let's pull something. Let's, let's get these fig leaves. These leaves will cover us, and let's hide. Right? And so we're going to attach to something that isn't all that good, that it really doesn't cover us all that well, but at least it will cover us in the meantime. And that's what they do. They attach this to themselves and they hide from God in this separation. And so insecurity is, is kind of this, where it's all of a sudden in life, you're beginning to feel the inadequacy of everything that you've used to cover yourself. Right? I mean, that's, that's what that is. It's like these attachments that we have given our, and our insecurity is coming in these ways of saying that whatever we're attaching ourselves, this isn't, it's not big enough, right, to cover all the exposure that we feel and that we experience. It's not big enough to cover us and how we're feeling with our relationship with one another. All these attachments don't seem to cover us in our relationship with God, and they don't seem to work for breathing in this sense of delight and well-being in ourselves. Like attachments like, and I hope that makes sense, but things like attachment to performance that would say, you know what I'm going to do to make sure that I don't get exposed and naked? I'm going to work. I'm going to make sure that I'm never in need through how well I perform. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to work so hard in school. I'm going, to get, I'm going to go to the best college. I'm going to get the most stable career. I'm going to push with everything I have. And these, none of those things are bad. 
It's just when there's a compulsiveness to it, right? Was that sense where it's, it's never enough, right? It, and it's, to, it's meant to attach so that then we don't have to be afraid. That that's going to be the thing that's going to cover us, the hard work. And the reality is, is that for many of us, is that, that that's not something that works. It's not strong enough. We're, when that begins to crumble, and it shows that we're not actually in control, and we can't control this, then we find ourselves not knowing what to do, and everything seems to be upside down. Um, your attachment could be to even to the way you look. A compulsiveness that says, ah, ah, if I just, if I continue to look a certain way to others and in front of others by either my physical looks or to the way that I look in the eyes of others as being nice, polite, and kind, then that will be the attachments that I need to be more secure in this world. And when those begin to crumble, it, we don't know what to do. It can, be, it can be attachments to other people saying, if I just had them, right? Oh, if I just have these types of people around me, if I just have this type of person, I'll attach myself to them, and then I'll be secure. So insecurity is just this sense where we've attached ourselves to something that in some way we say isn't strong enough to really be the bond that would hold us. Right? That would, that would offer that, that firm grounding that we long to stand upon. Because none of these things are actually firm enough. But yet we, we make them those. Can you relate to that? I have attached myself to a number of things. See, the challenge is that the problem with insecurity is, is not that we're insecure. It's being able to recognize those places where we're attaching ourselves to something and, and actually tell the truth of it. To identify what it is that we've done. What kind of agreement or what kind of messages that we're believing about ourselves or about our gifts or about others that may not be true, but it's the way we're functioning in the world in order to have some sort of peace. To make it. And me and my battle with insecurity and my attachments to things and to that, I, it is so real. But the, the major one that I continue to feel to this day is this sense, like Sundays, Sunday afternoons from like 12 o'clock until I go to sleep is the most insecure part of my week, if I teach, right? So insecure. So, uh, feel so unstable, replaying in my head over and over again what has been spoken out of my mouth, wondering, how was it received? I shouldn't have said that. That was really dumb. You exaggerated there a little bit. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, that made you look stupid and weak. Oh, you know what? You probably left, you probably were saying a thought and you forgot. You just stopped the middle of a story and you just went somewhere else. And everybody was like, what the heck did he just talk about for 45 minutes? Right? Like all, all of these things that sort of grip, grip me into this. Now, the attachment, right? Nothing wrong with wanting to proclaim and to do something and to do that, do that well, right? But, but the attachment is to this sense of significance, right? That if I'm seen well or praised enough, that it will create a secure standing for me in my future, right? Oh, that, that will be the secureness will be on what, what you deliver, what you perform. Oh, I'll be solid then. 
Now, I may not ever say that out loud, but by digging into those moments when I'm feeling the insecurity, whether it's in a relationship or it's in my job or the work, is this moment of realization of saying, huh, I'm giving a lot of weight and energy and thought to this right here in a really weird way. There's a fig leaf here that I've attached to myself that's meant to cover me. Right? And so for you, what is it? What, what is it that continues to bring, that, that even either before it or after brings this sense of compulsion? You can't get out of it. And you're stuck in it and you're spinning. We weren't meant to be that way. We weren't meant to live in that place. And so some of us, we make these sort of agreements once we figure out that, oh, I feel exposed, I feel naked, I'm put under this bush, and I'm crying out loud, I'm feeling this discomfort, I don't want to feel this again. So what am I going to do to not feel this? Oh, I'm going to work harder. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do better. That's not, a, that's not a gift, that's not life, right? I... I I want to be motivated, and whatever this is for me in my story, right? I, I want to be motivated to share out of love, out of an overpouring of what God has. Not to try to earn or have a place or to secure a future. I, I love being a part of this community because I, if I really told myself the truth, but the majority of you, um, you like me, right? <laughs> here's the stupid, here's the, here's the funny thing. I'm starting to cry thinking, oh, you like me, right? And not for what I do or deliver or produce. I was hanging out with some friends or, and with some acquaintances, and they began to tell me. They go to a church that has a number of pastors. And they're like, oh, this pastor, and they were sharing something about what he said, and they're like, well, here's this pastor. He's not our favorite. And, right, and they go on the story, and I'm like, what? And they said like two or three times, he's not my favorite. It's like, you don't tell a pastor that you don't have a favorite pastor. Um, he's not my favorite, right? And I, it was just weird, right? And that just gets into our heads, right? It gets our heads. It's like, you're, you're, you're ranking us? Nate is clearly your favorite, right? You know, but, and, um, and man, was I, immediately I was just like, I, I was mad, right? I almost wanted to correct him like, don't ever say that. We don't care for your favorite. We're not here to be your favorite, right? Yeah, so, this is, but it's our insecurity, right? My defensiveness in that moment reveals stuff. But it's a joy to be a part of a people who you can be like, oh, wait a minute. My defensiveness is, is showing something that isn't good or healthy. So you, where are you overly defensive? Because it's revealing something. Where are you overly insecure? What attachment have you made to something that's meant to, that is a faulty covering that will really never do the job? Where is it where you see it in others, whatever it is, if, this, if it's, you see them kind of being lazy or if you think people are exaggerating and you get overly defensive, could it be that you've made your attachment to discipline and production? Could it mean you, if you see people whose lives are a little bit jacked up and they're, and they're not making good moral decisions, that you've made your attachment saying, I'm going to do it right, morally, right? That doesn't work. 
the, the church has been filled with people who have, who have tried that, and it always looks ugly, and it never looks like Jesus. Who are making an attachment there in order to be secure in the world. There's a beautiful line here in the text of Genesis 3. I, I, I think I stopped at Genesis 3 at verse 7. So they, 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 um, they saw that they were both naked. When the eyes of them were open, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 9, when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? How beautiful again. Here's a God that pursues us. Where are you? Where are you? I pray you would hear that call. The man and woman have just done the one thing they weren't supposed to do. Just before that. And God is still pursuing them saying, where are you? I tell you what, I, I, I grew up doing things I wasn't supposed to do, right? You know, or, and I still do things I'm not supposed to do. Right? And, and on my own fallenness. And yet I got this idea of a God who's not pursuing me in that but I gotta run right but yet here's this God immediately after they're just biggest screw up of all humanity and he says where are you looking for may you hear that and then in verse 21 after God confronts them on this In Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Dan Allender talks a lot about this sort of stuff. Um, And he has this phrase that just sort of gripped me when I was reading it. It says that God's deepest desire for us is to replace our fig leaves with garments of durability and beauty. He wants to replace these things with things that are durable. And beautiful. So that we could replace these attachments that do not work for bringing security and foundation to our lives, that do not bring joy and life. But he wants to replace those. The simplest answer for all of these things is that there's a God who longs to have deep attachment with us and all of the separation to have connection. That's what our God is going for on week one when Nate, Nate was sharing about addiction and soul therapy. He said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Connection seems to be the whole part of it. Last week when Kate was talking about depression, right? And it was like, oh goodness, we have no answers. But one of the greatest needs for us all is connection. And, and having people who are connected to people in brokenness. That's our deep need, connection, and connection with God, not formed on any kind of false attachment to anything that you have constructed. An attachment with God is fully formed and fully linked in and fully pressed together by God's love for us. The linchpin that holds the attachment that God has to us is his love. That's the linchpin. That's it. The most troubling ideas of Scripture and most beautiful, the most paradoxical is this reality. Oh, thank you, Norm. 
that God wants to have union with us, that he is in us, in us, that we can have a oneness that's available. And our biggest struggle in life will be able to say yes to that oneness, to surrender to the oneness, to, to agree to this oneness that is based upon nothing of our doing, but just to say yes to it again and again and again and again and by saying no to the other attachments that are getting in the way of us saying yes to God's. Again and again with the words of Jesus, oh, I and the Father are one and we want you to be one in us. My prayer is for your unity that you would be one as we are one, that we would be in you and you would be in us. Connection, deep, rich connection. And that is the only firm foundation that any of us will ever stand upon, that we are pulled into the Godhead as his beloved sons and daughters, never to be betrayed and turned his back upon, but be pulled into the intimate unity of God. And it's welcome to us, available to us, and we can sit in it. And you don't got to come to me to find it. You don't got to sit in a church to find it. You don't have to go to the most holiest places to find it. You can find it in, in the depths. The beautiful story of the most brokenness of all humanity is that people found it, like Jonah found it in the belly of a fish, <laughs> swallowed up in the deconstructed mess there. Oneness is offered to us. My invitation to you as we close today is to pause and to listen and to ask some questions that God could reveal to you these false attachments, right? Or that you could come to them by feeling our own insecurities and be willing to confront them for the sake of God speaking to them. And so can I, uh, I, I want to offer you some questions that you can bring to God and that you can sit in silence. Because I know it's probably one of your, all of your favorite things to do, to sit and do nothing. Not do nothing, but to um, not achieve something. This is hard and so few of you will do it. It's just the reality, right? So, uh, because the, the majority of us, our attachments are are working out okay. And we, we haven't hit that bottom yet. So we'll hold on to them for a little longer. But for those of you who they're not working for, that you see your attachments as polishing the brass on the Titanic, may you step into these things here. So here's some questions for you. Our prayers. First, would you ask God to help you see what makes you feel the most vulnerable and the most like running for cover? Ask God to show this to you. See, we have the spirit of truth who leads us into truth. We need no one else to teach us. The spirit of God is a counselor. He, is the, he was called the paraclete. He's the defense attorney. I was listening to this. Tony, he's the defense attorney. God in the attorney stuff, right? Defending people. I love it. Where do you feel like taking the, ask God to reveal this to him. Let him show you where it is you're taking cover. Where it is you're trying to hide. Where it is that you feel the most vulnerable. 
and like running. It may be conflict. It may be failure. Maybe pain. Maybe emotional upset. Loss of face. Allow yourself to feel the distress that would be present if you did not avoid these things. What makes you feel the most vulnerable and running? Ask God. You might even know exactly what it is. Next, listen. Listen to God's invitation to come out of the bushes to which you're hiding. Step out and allow God to embrace you just as you are. In all your fear, in all your insecurity, listen to him, hear his call. Where are you? Come out. And let God embrace you with his oneness. Embracing you just as you are, right where you are. Then potentially, prayerfully, reflect on the image of yourself to which you're most attached. What is it you're attaching yourself to? Think about how you'd like, uh, consider how you like to think about yourself and what you're most proud of about yourself, right? Could there be an interesting attachment here that is not, uh, not that it's, it's not meant to be this strong. Ask God to help you see the ways that you're using these things to defend against the feelings of vulnerability. And then ask God to prepare you to trust enough to let go of these fig leaves of your personal style. To let go. Our insecurity drives us in these places to make these false attachments. And where God wants us to come out of these hiding places, these places where we're burying our heads out of fear in the sand. That's what I feel like when I go there. He invites us to trust him to let go of these things so that we can live because they trip us up and they stop us from engaging in life in the freedom to love and to do and to, to move. May that be. Father, in your graciousness, I pray that you would meet us God, as we are confronted with these feelings of insecurity, as we're confronted with all these fears and anxieties, these are all words of the same thing, these things that are these compulsions that we have that's under compulsion to exercise or compulsion to continue to save, compulsion to continue to get better, compulsion towards the next best thing, compulsion towards buying things, whatever it might be, to be with someone or not to be alone, Be merciful to us, Lord, in our woundedness. Oh, Father, call to us under those bushes. Let us not be afraid to sit in that uncomfortable space that at one time wounded us so deeply 
that we really haven't moved on. Oh, Spirit of the living God, call to us. See our tears, remind us of them. Lead us into life. Speak about those things, God, that are destroying the divine image in us as we continue to try to shape our lives in a way that is more absent from you, that is still disconnected from you and is still all about ourselves. Have mercy, God. Thank you that you call to us. Thank you that you see us and you are not repulsed, but you like us. You delight in us. You feel pleasures of joy when you hear our name and when you see us. You knit us together and you delighted in every move that you made. You're not embarrassed by our form or our shape, our look, by our intellect, by the way we talk, the way we move. You delight in it. May we welcome your embrace, Lord. And receive the life that comes from being one with you. May we say yes to you. Yes to your embrace. Yes for you to put your hands upon us and to bless us. And in all of our brokenness. And fear. And insecurity. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Tom, I'm going to invite you guys up. We're going we're to take communion today.